All right, good evening. Welcome to our uh, evening service here at Long Hill Baptist Church. Thank you uh, for joining us online tonight. And I do want to thank you for joining us. I know it's, oh, Sundays get long, and uh, often we're getting a little tired out in the evening, but uh, I hope tonight we can be refreshed in God's Word for these next several minutes. Uh, tonight we'll be in Psalm 12. Uh, Psalm 12 is... Uh, one of my favorites, uh, it is one of my favorites, there's a great deal of uh, doctrinal truth here and encouragement uh, to be found in that. We'll share a couple of prayer requests, uh, I should say praises uh, tonight. Uh, many of you have been praying for my dad who's been in the hospital uh, the past couple of days. He was released from the hospital today, <coughs> excuse me, and uh, is back home and feeling pretty well. I would appreciate it if you continue to pray for him uh, in the coming days, not feeling 100%, and uh, he needs prayer. So I, I would just uh, ask you, request that you continue to pray for him, and I appreciate that uh, very much. Of course, let's uh, continue to pray for our nation as well, uh, especially uh, around the time of the inauguration uh, this week, uh, this week, uh, Tuesday, right, uh, or Wednesday, Is it, it's Wednesday, right? Wednesday. Okay, thank you, Mr. Soundman. Um, so let's uh, obviously pray for a peaceful transition and uh, just pray for God's will to be done in all things in our country. Let's go ahead and open in prayer. Father God, we do thank you, Lord, tonight for your love. I thank you for your grace. I thank you for saving me. Lord, I thank you for your mercy. Father, I thank you again tonight for our church I thank you for the privilege to serve you, uh, to serve my brothers and sisters in Christ here in my church family. Uh, Lord, thank you for Brother Ray tonight and his uh, faithfulness to the sound and video ministry. Uh, Lord, I know he's, he's not often seen, but his, his ministry certainly is, and I thank you for that. Father, we um, ask tonight that you help us to quiet our hearts before you. Uh, Lord, to humble ourselves before you. Father, that we would receive your words tonight as just that, Lord, your words. Father, tonight, um, as we look around uh, our land, we, we pray again tonight, Lord, for um, peace. Lord, we pray for a peaceful transition this coming week. I pray, Father, that uh, you would restrain anything that is not uh, in accord with your will, Lord, that you would protect people, and that, uh, Lord, people would just um, conduct themselves according to your words this week. Father, I pray and thank you tonight that uh, you are a God who uh, constrains the wicked, and Lord, you're a God who comforts your people. Lord, as we look into this psalm tonight and find David again, wrestling with uh, the wicked who oppose him, who come against him. I pray, Lord, tonight that we take up once again his example of responding uh, to a trial uh, of wicked people coming against him. Lord, we understand tonight that we too are opposed in various ways uh, by the lost, and certainly in a general sense, the world uh, is opposing uh, genuine believers uh, and those who hold to your words. I pray, Father, tonight that we, you would instruct us uh, through David's example uh, from this passage in Psalm 12. 
Lord, that we would take up this example with your help, uh, apply it to our hearts and uh, to our lives practically. Lord, that we would live that which we see here tonight. Father, I pray you'd help me and use me tonight as we look at this short psalm and that uh, it would be uh, instructive and encouraging, Lord, to uh, each of us. Lord, I love you now. I thank you. I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's go ahead. I want to read through um, this psalm. It's just eight verses, but boy, uh, Brother Ray, as I often say, uh, the Word of God is it's highly concentrated. There can be an awful lot of doctrine, of truth, and comfort, and help uh, in a few words. And, and here tonight in this psalm, uh, we have eight verses, just eight verses. Uh, look with me here in the psalm title, uh, there at verse 1, or, or perhaps above verse 1 in your Bible, it says, uh, the, the psalmist says, to the chief musician upon Shemineth, uh, Shemineth, uh, uh, a psalm of David. Now, Shemineth, we've seen this word back in Psalm 6, I believe it was. Uh, the word literally refers, Brother Ray, to the number 8, uh, and is thought to then refer to an 8-stringed instrument, perhaps a lyre, uh, which is a small um, harp-like instrument. We saw this back in the title of Psalm 6. Uh, of course, we've seen uh, references to other instruments uh, in the Psalms. Uh, Psalm 4, for example, Neganoth, a stringed instrument, uh, and then Nehaloth uh, in Psalm 5, wind instruments. So uh, if we're careful to study these words, we see that there evidently were a variety of different instruments that were utilized uh, in the worship at the temple. Uh, all, all of these songs were worship songs. Uh, many are specifically uh, written to, um, uh, for, for use to the chief musician. There, there we go, <laughs> we'll get there. Uh, directed or addressed specifically to the chief musician. That pretty plainly indicates it would have been intended for use um, uh, perhaps at the tabernacle first and at the temple later. So. Uh, it's just a privilege to study, to dig into these words, and, and to understand uh, a little bit more about how the uh, worship music uh, was um, conducted there. So see, uh, to the chief musician upon Sheminith, a psalm of David. David is the privileged penman, the one privileged to write the words of God. I'm going to uh, attempt to read through uh, the balance of the psalm, and then we'll, we'll pray again and, and jump in here. Um, verse 1 says, Help, Lord, for the godly man ceaseth, for the faithful fail from among the children of men. They speak vanity, every one with his neighbor, with flattering lips and with a double heart do they speak. David says in verse 3, The Lord shall cut off all flattering lips, uh, and the tongue that speaketh proud things. Uh, who have said, with our tongue, we will prevail. Our lips are our own. Who is the Lord over us? What a prideful statement. Verse 5, for the oppression of the poor, for the sighing uh, of the needy, now will I arise, saith the Lord. I will set him in safety from, safety from him that puffeth at him. Verse 6 says this, the words of the Lord are pure words as silver tried in a furnace of earth purified seven times. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord, thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. And David returns to the wicked in verse 8, 
the wicked walk on every side when the vilest men are exalted. Uh, David's response to opposition, uh, persecution from the wicked. David's response to opposition or persecution by the wicked. Uh, let's pray, please. Father, thank you again tonight, uh, Lord, for your words. Thank you for this psalm. Thank you again uh, for the privilege to see uh, this inspired song um, inspired uh, for us, uh, Lord, for our instruction. And I, I pray tonight that we'd uh, take up the, the key principles here tonight and be encouraged by each and every one of your words uh, here in this passage. Lord, help me now. I pray again in Jesus' name. Uh, amen. Uh, no doubt you've been discouraged at times uh, by people who are, are lost, uh, wicked, just, you know, not, not God's people. Uh, perhaps they've done things or said things that have been uh, discouraging to you. Uh, perhaps you've dealt with a very serious situation at some point uh, in your life with uh, some lost person opposing you in some way, challenging you, threatening you, uh, coming against you in, in some way. Uh, maybe you can think of something specific, maybe not, but uh, I want us to be um, instructed here and to be prepared uh, for the next time something like that happens. Uh, David says... Um, well, we see here uh, David's response. Uh, the first thing we see, number one, David prays. Uh, he prays to the Lord regarding the wicked. He prays regarding the situation, regarding uh, the wicked who have come against him, who are oppressing him. Now, uh, I don't know. I can't say for sure, as we say so often when we try to discern the historical context of the Psalms. I don't know exactly what the situation is here. I think there's reason to believe uh, some clues, perhaps, that uh, this is, uh, as we saw in the last psalm, uh, David's response to uh, one of the many occasions where Saul uh, was coming against him, Saul uh, chasing him down, Saul uh, you know, persecuting him in, in some way, shape, or form. That's likely the situation, but this should just be one example uh, of the kind of opposition or persecution that a believer might uh, experience today. Uh, the, the important thing I want you to see here is that the first thing, Brother Ray, that we see David doing is taking it to the Lord. He, before he does anything, uh, he's talking to God about the situation. He's taking uh, the concern uh, directly to the Lord. Praise God tonight because of Christ. We have direct access to God the Father. We have both the privilege, it is a privilege, it is a profoundly astonishing privilege that we have to be able to talk to uh, God uh, the Father. Uh, we have the, the privilege to come boldly to his throne because of Christ who has made uh, a way of access uh, through him. What an amazing privilege. Please be reminded tonight that it's not just a privilege, uh, it's a privilege that we are commanded to take advantage of. It's a privilege that we're commanded to exercise repeatedly throughout the Word of God. Uh, we're instructed to pray by way of example, uh, as, as we see David, uh, we're, we'll, as we continue uh, through looking at the, uh, the Jerusalem church in the first century uh, in Acts uh, 2 and 3, uh, we'll see their example of prayer as well. But of course, Many times, it's not just an example that we, we observe, 
uh, it's a command of God that we be people uh, of much prayer, that we be praying uh, everywhere uh, without ceasing. Uh, Lord, help us. Lord, help us to be people of much prayer. Uh, David says here in verse 1, Lord, forgive me. <laughs> I, I skipped a word. He says, help. Help, Lord. Uh, the Lord is our help. He's our helper. Uh, what better helper is there than the Lord? David prays, help, Lord, for the godly man ceaseth. There's just no one around here, Lord, no one godly uh, to help me, no man, uh, no godly man to help me in my situation. The godly man ceaseth, for the faithful fail from among the children of men. What a, what a terrible place to be where all you can see, the only people that you can see uh, around you are wicked people who are coming against you uh, in some way. Now, this should not be the case for uh, a believer today, someone who's saved, baptized in the membership of a church. Uh, we have each other. Uh, we have each other that we can uh, run to for help. Hey, can, can you help me practically? Can you pray with me? Could you pray for me? Uh, I could use some help in this situation. I've, I could use your uh, counsel, your wisdom, whatever it is. We, uh, we have a church family, so uh, boy, hopefully we never feel like there's uh, no one godly or faithful around us to help us. But uh, permit me to say this, if we find ourselves in a place where that is the situation or uh, where it feels like at least that is the situation, where it at least feels like that, uh, we have the Lord. He's not going anywhere. Uh, he never leaves us. He never forsakes us. You can cry out to him uh, because of Christ, because of Christ, because of Christ, you have the privilege to cry out to the Lord, help. Uh, God, I need your help. Lord, please. Uh, Lord, please. <laughs> David, in verse 2, uh, he uh, he shares the specific nature uh, of the trial, of the persecution that he's experiencing. Uh, let me read it. They speak vanity. He's praying. They speak vanity, everyone with his neighbor, with flattering lips and with a double heart, uh, do they speak. Uh, evidently, people were saying things about David uh, that were not true. And <laughs> no doubt, we have all been on the receiving side, the, the hard side, uh, of that situation where, where people either misunderstood us or people desired to uh, attack us and mischaracterize us on purpose uh, with slander for whatever reason. I mean, this is something, obviously, I don't have to tell you that this happens. Uh, David prays very specifically about the concern. He begins generally, Lord, help. Uh, Lord, help. And then he, he, he gets very specific. Seems like there's no one here to help me. But God, I know you are here uh, to help me. He's, he prays specifically about uh, the, those who are oppressing him, persecuting him, talking about him behind his back, knocking him down behind his back, turning others uh, against him behind his back with their uh, flattering lips and double hearts. Maybe some were saying positive things to his face, flattering lips, but they had double hearts. They said different things about him behind his back. That's not good. A gossip, slander, those are sins. Uh, you, talk, uh, you talk wickedly, about negatively about someone behind their back, uh, that's, that's sin. 
You gossip about someone, that's sin. Uh, it's always sin. Now, you may say, well, listen, I, um, uh, I may discuss someone's difficulty uh, with someone else for the purpose of seeking wisdom regarding how best to counsel that person. That's fine if that's genuinely uh, your heart. But boy, you be careful about that. You be careful, please. We, including me, I need to be careful about that, that our uh, discussion, that our seeking of wisdom with which to help someone uh, is not just an occasion or an excuse to gossip or, or to slander someone. Look at verse 3. Uh, David finds confidence in the Lord. He says, The Lord shall cut off all flattering lips, and the tongue that speaketh proud things, who have said, With our tongues will we prevail. Our lips are our own. Uh, who is Lord over us? Well, <laughs> verse 4 uh, pictures persecutors, those who have come against David, who are extremely Prideful. Persecutors are, are prideful uh, by nature. Uh, they, they'll persecute God's people because uh, in their pride, that's what seems good and right uh, to them. Uh, they say our lips are our, I own my own mouth. Uh, who's Lord over me and my lips? Uh, I, I have my mouth. It's my mouth. Uh, my mouth, my words. Uh, <laughs> you know, um, boy. I, I hear this um, refrain in the world today, my body, my choice, my body, my choice. You know what? The Lord has given us the bodies that we have. Uh, he has commanded us to use them for good and righteous purposes. Uh, we, we ought not to claim ownership of any part of us. God made us. Uh, Christ gave himself for us at the cross. Uh, he purchased us at the cross. We are not our own any longer. Uh, we should not say, well, this is my tongue and my lips and my body. I can do whatever I want with it. Not as a believer, uh, not as a man or woman of God, can you? No, we're, every part of us belongs to the Lord, and we're called to yield every part of ourselves uh, to the Lord. Lord, strike that pride right out of my heart. Uh, Lord, help me to remember every part of me belongs to you. Uh, and should be yielded to you, subjected to you, obedient to you. David prays, the Lord shall cut off all flat. He's prayed, uh, and he's gained confidence, a comfort from the Lord that he will deal with those who have come against him. David prays, number one, Lord, help us to not <laughs> skip over prayer. Lord, Lord, help us to not be a people uh, who only resort to prayer when it seems like there's nowhere else to go. God, help us to be a people who come to you first, uh, who bring our trials and tribulations and difficulties uh, to you first. God, help us to remember that you are the one who has the answers. You are our provider. You are the one who can answer our needs like no one else, including ourselves. Lord, help us. Lord, help us. David prayed. David prayed. That was the first thing. That was not the last thing. It was the first thing. Uh, and you can see even in verse 3, uh, God is beginning to comfort him. God's 
blessing him for his faithfulness uh, to bring the trouble, to bring the trial uh, to the Lord, David is already beginning to be comforted by the Lord in that. Uh, he's understanding. God has given him uh, insight, wisdom. That, hey, God is going to deal with those individuals uh, that you may not be able to deal with in this immediate moment for whatever reason, but God will deal with them. Don't you worry. If not immediately, in the end, uh, God is going to deal with the unrepentant sinner. We understand that. There's a very real hell for unrepentant sinners. God will deal with those who come against his people. Don't you worry about that. By the way, uh, by the way, uh, none of us should desire that anyone would go to hell. None of us should desire that anyone would go to hell. You may say, but this person is on this terrible thing, and this person over here has done this terrible thing. Uh, fine, I understand that. We've all done terrible things. But none of us should desire that the Lord would send that person to hell because of their terrible deeds. No, our desire should be that that person would come to a knowledge of Christ and come to saving faith and be saved uh, and be changed, just like we were. That they would enjoy the same privilege that they don't deserve, that we've enjoyed, that we don't deserve. That they would find the grace... Uh, grace in the Lord, to be saved by the Lord, the same way we did, undeserving lost sinners, saved by grace through faith. Uh, it should never be our desire that anyone would be uh, condemned to hell by the Lord. I understand God's going to do that if people refuse to repent of sin and come to the Lord through uh, faith in the Lord Jesus. They will. Their sin will condemn them to a very real hell, but that should never be our desire. Lord, help us. Lord, help us if we find a desire in our hearts that someone would end up in hell. God, help us. God, help us. Let's move on. Let's move. David, David took comfort. <laughs> David took comfort in what? He took comfort in the fact that God would deal with them. He took comfort. See verse 5. Uh, he took comfort in God's wrath, that God does have a wrath at sin, and he will deal with the unrepentant believer. I know I've already said that. Look at verse 5. He says, for the oppression of the poor, for the sighing of the needy. Uh, this is God speaking here. Forgive me. Uh, this is the Lord speaking evidently. Well, it's, it's not just uh, something that we uh, discern says that. Let me read the verse again. For the oppression of the poor, for the sighing of the needy. Now will I arise. See the next three words saith the Lord. Who's talking here? Lord, Bible says that. For the oppression of the poor, for the sighing of the needy, now will I arise. Who's talking? David? No, the Lord. The Lord says, I will arise. You prayed for help. I will arise. I do have a wrath at sin, and so I will deal with the unrepentant sinner. I will deal with them justly, and I will deal with you justly. For the oppression of the poor, for the sighing of the needy, now will I arise, saith the Lord. I will set him in safety, uh, the one who's oppressed or persecuted or wronged. The Lord says, I will set him in safety from him that puffeth at him. Do you remember we saw that word recently? Uh, two Psalms back in Psalm chapter 10, we saw the word puffeth. Would you go back there real fast and look at Psalm 10 verses four and five. Uh, puffeth has the idea of uh, blowing air, 
blowing a literal idea. You may remember, we've talked about this in the past, the Hebrew word for um, uh, anger, uh, hotness, anger, uh, is af, and it literally refers to a nose. Think about a, uh, a bull uh, in a bullfight, uh, kind of kicking and pawing and snorting, breathing in a <laughs> like that. Uh, he's angry. He's breathing in and out angrily. This is the idea. Uh, this is the idea. The uh, Lord says, I will set him, the, the, the righteous person, in safety from him that puffeth at him. I mentioned this morning that, that there is a difference. I remind us there's a difference between um, prideful anger, self-centered prideful anger. You can't do that to me and righteous indignation. You can't do that because that offends God. You should not do that because that offends God. They're very different. There's a very big difference between righteous indignation that says, I wish you wouldn't do that because that offends God versus you can't do that to me because that offends me. They're very different. They're very different. Uh, the one who is puffing here, uh, angrily puffing, huffing and puffing, uh, is the one suffering from uh, prideful anger. Back in chapter 10, Psalm 10, verse 4, uh, the psalmist writes, The wicked, through the pride of his countenance, will not seek after God. God is not in all his thoughts. His ways are grievous. Thy judgments are far above out of his sight. As for all his enemies, he puffeth at them. A wicked, prideful, self-centered, lost person only cares about himself. He'll puff at his enemies. There'll be that prideful anger uh, at, at people who do not uh, align with his philosophy and thinking and way of life, who perhaps have a more righteous life that causes that wicked, prideful person to be convicted when he compares his life to the life of a righteous person. Uh, he puffeth at them. He's, he's angered, and that that um, self-centered, prideful anger will very often lead him to say and do things uh, against the saved person, against the righteous, that he should not do. And I believe so often this is the root of persecution. Uh, God's people have been persecuted over, over time, uh, I believe so very often because the wicked lost our uh, they're so arrogant, they're self-centered, uh, they are prideful, and they are convicted by the righteousness of God's people. And so uh, they come at them, huffing and puffing angrily, uh, seeking to do harm to them, even to kill them, uh, hoping that their guilt, their guilty consciences will be assuaged if that person is out of, out of the way. I realize there's lots of other reasons that people might suffer persecution, but uh, I believe that that pride is so often at the root uh, of this. And uh, passages like Psalm 10 and here Psalm 12 uh, show us that pretty plainly. Well, there is a prideful, wicked anger that uh, the lost will aim at the righteous, at the saved, but praise God tonight, God has a, a righteous anger at the lost the, the, who, who persecute the saved. And, and God will direct his wrath, uh, his wrath, his righteous anger uh, at the lost. And, and he will deal with them in his wrath. 
uh, in his wrath. And praise God for that tonight. Uh, he will deal with them. Now, no doubt at times his wrath is uh, intended to encourage that person to see God and, and to seek God and to be saved by him, by, by Christ. Other times, uh, it's simply uh, judgment. And in the end, uh, it's God's judgment uh, that will result in uh, the one who refused to repent uh, to be in hell. It'll be their sin that will send them there, but God's righteous judgment uh, will, will back that and ultimately condemn them uh, to a very real hell. David is comforted as he prays. He's prayed and he's brought the he's asked God for help. God help. That was the first word, help God. And he prays specifically. And God begins to comfort him that he will deal with the prideful, wicked people who opposed him and us. God will do that. Uh, David prayed regarding the wicked, number one. Dave took, David took comfort uh, in the Lord's wrath at the wicked, uh, number two. And number three tonight, I want you to see this. Uh, David took comfort in the Lord's words, uh, in the Lord's words. Now, as he prayed this inspired prayer, and as God brought these inspired uh, verses in response to his prayer, you can see David taking comfort in the words that God is laying upon his heart uh, and giving to him to write down, to inscripturate in the Bible, David is plainly, clearly being comforted uh, by God's words. And he begins to write in, in the next, um, just the next two verses here, uh, inspired revelation regarding God's words. He's writing God's words about God's words. He's revealing truths about the words of God, and he is being comforted. And I believe this is God blessing David for bringing uh, the difficult situation, bring the trial to God in prayer. God has begun to comfort him, and uh, that's blessing. That's a blessing. And secondly, God is uh, comforting him with this comforting revelation regarding God's words. And I encourage you tonight to be comforted by the same revelation that God gave to David uh, inscripturated by David and preserved, we'll see in this passage, preserved uh, for us tonight. So I want you to see two main ideas here, and we're done. See two main ideas here under number three. Yes, number three, David took comfort in God's words. I want you to see two, two aspects of this, and then we're done. First thing, uh, see that David took comfort in the truth that the words of God, they are pure. They are pure. Uh, it was these prideful people that were opposing David uh, in their pride, uh, in their pride. Uh, God is pure. He's, he's humble God. He's, he has wrath, uh, but he's also pure, and his words are pure. Uh, his words are absolutely unadulterated. Uh, they are as holy as that lost persecutor is prideful. Uh, they are as pure as that lost persecutor is prideful. That one who's just completely given over to pride, uh, picture that. The exact opposite of that uh, is how pure God's words are. See verse 6, please. The words of the Lord are pure words. See, I didn't make that up. You knew that. The words of the Lord are pure words. How pure? Uh, as silver tried in a furnace of earth, 
purified seven times. The words of the Lord are pure words. What do we mean? What do we mean by uh, pure in, in this context? So um, I understand there's a physical um, illustration that's used, silver tried in a furnace, uh, pure, pure in uh, this sense, uh, in the sense of, of how God's words are pure, uh, they're holy. Uh, they're absolutely holy. They reflect the perfectly righteous, perfectly holy, perfectly just character of our God. Uh, one man said the underlying word refers to something that is unadulterated, either in a physical uh, or moral sense, and this all suggests holiness. God's words are holy. Uh, when we are dealing with wickedness all around us, we can flee to God in prayer, and we can flee into his words, uh, his pure, pure prayer, prayer, and then secondly, his pure words, uh, and find great comfort there. Permit me to share just several verses with you that speak to the purity the holiness of God's words. Let me stop and say this first. Uh, in a world that is filled with so much wickedness, there is so much spiritual refreshment uh, in the purity of God's words. Uh, wickedness is all around us, and it's, it's hard to escape it, uh, and it can be frustrated. You feel just constantly contaminated by the wickedness around us. You know, wash it off. You feel like you need to just wash it off whenever you come in from outside. Uh, God's words are as pure as the world today is wicked. There is a wonderfully refreshing benefit of being in the pure words of God, the holy words of a holy God. Uh, Psalm 19 and verse 8, get the reference down, please. Psalm 19 and verse 8 says, the statutes of the Lord, his, his words, are right, rejoicing the heart. His words rejoice our hearts. You got to get in there to be rejoiced by them, though. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. There's two benefits of the pure, holy words of God. They rejoice our hearts uh, and they enlighten our eyes. There's a spiritual joy, a spiritual refreshing uh, of our hearts and a spiritual enlightening of our eyes. Our hearts are eyes. Um, we gain spiritual insight. We gain, we achieve and, and maintain a spiritual perspective, a godly perspective on the world and our situation when we are viewing it through the words of God. Now, I can't view the world through my glasses unless I pick them up and, uh, and get them close to my eyes. The same is true with the word of God. Uh, I can't be rejoiced by it or enlightened by it unless I pick it up and get it close to my eyes. And uh, as my eyes get older, I have to get the words closer and closer. That'd be bigger and bigger. That's okay. Do what you need to do to get the words of God into your eyes and uh, down into your heart and into your walk. Psalm 119 and verse 140, you remember Psalm 119, every verse of Psalm 119, it's the longest Psalm, uh, every verse is about the words of God. So they're words about God's words. Psalm 119 and verse 140 says this, the word, God's word, is very pure. Therefore, thy servant loveth it. 
The psalmist uh, in that psalm, not identified, but probably David, I think we, it's a reasonable assumption. Lord, help us if we're wrong. Uh, he says, thy word is very pure, God, therefore thy servant loveth it. What do you love? Uh, what do you love? To, I love my wife. Uh, I love my son. I love my family. I love my church family, all of you. I love you all very much. Uh, I love the Lord, praise God, and I do love his words. Listen, if you love something, you spend time. Uh, you spend time with the things that you love as much as you can, uh, at least, as much as the Lord will allow. Uh, if The psalmist said he loves God's words. He, uh, listen, I'm sure he developed love for them as he spent time in them. Uh, but as, as he did that and his love began to grow, no doubt he spent more time in them. Pastor, I don't know if I have a heart to spend much time in God's words. Okay, I understand that. Uh, I promise you tonight, if you will get in there and spend some time, uh, you'll learn and grow and be enlightened and refreshed and, and rejoiced, and the Lord will give you a love for his words that you didn't have apart from experiencing the power of God's words. He'll give you a love for his words, but you've got to do your part and get in there at least a little bit and let God work uh, through them. Uh, you can't um, experience the benefit of medicine unless you take it out of the bottle and get it into your mouth. Uh, you can't experience the benefit of God's words unless you take the Bible off of the shelf, get it into your eyes or your ears uh, and down into your heart. It's just the way it works. God will give you love for his words, but you've got to get in there uh, and permit him to do that. Proverbs 30 and verse 5. Proverbs 30 and verse 5 says, Every word of God is pure. Every word. The individual words are pure. They're holy. He is a shield unto them that put their trust uh, in him. He's a shield to us that put our trust in him. In the New Testament, James chapter 3, the last verse that I want to look at in this area, James chapter 3 and verse 17 says this. You may know this verse. But the wisdom that is from above, God's wisdom that we find in his words, uh, is first pure, it's holy, then peaceable, gentle, easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. <laughs> you know, I uh, think about those words that describe God's words. You could apply those same words to God himself, person of God. That's because his words are just that. They're his words. They reflect his character. What you might write down reflects who you are. It reflects your character. God's words reflect who he is, reflects his character. They're wise, peaceful, and gentle. Uh, easy to be entreated, full of mercy. Uh, they yield good fruit. They're without partiality, without hypocrisy. So is God. God, God. All those words apply to God. His words reflect who he is and what he's like. What, you want to get to know God better, get into his words. You'll get to know him better. Uh, you'll have an intellectual understanding of him, knowledge of him, but you'll not be able to help the fact that the Holy Spirit will be working through uh, his words to accomplish all that he desires spiritually uh, in and through his words. Um, by the way, how pure are the words of God? There's no qualifier here. However, there is a, an illustration, a description. Second part of verse 6 says this, they're as pure as silver, so this is a, a simile, 
uses like or as, right? There, there is, there as, his words are as or like silver tried in a furnace of earth purified uh, seven times. So you understand the illustration. If you have a, a, a silver, if you have silver and you want to purify it, you want to remove the impurities, maybe you have a bar of silver uh, and there's, impu- there's impurities in it. You can't just take them out because it's, it's solid. So you would melt it down. Uh, and after you've melted it down, the impurities rise to the top. You can skim them off. Uh, so this is the illustration. God's words are purified. They're pure. <laughs> They're pure. I don't think they've had to be purified. They began pure. They, they are still pure. Uh, they are as silver that has been tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. Well, if you, if you purified silver, if you melted it down and skimmed off the impurities, and if you did that seven times, you'd have very pure silver. Uh, why seven times? Well, there's, a, there's theological reasons. Seven is the biblical number of perfection, right? So the, uh, the literal illustration here is that God's words are perfectly pure. Uh, they're like silver that's been purified perfectly so that you have only silver present in the pot, the refining pot. Uh, God's words are perfectly holy. There is nothing about them, not a one of them, uh, reflects anything but the perfect holiness of God. The seven times perfection, the seven times purification, uh, they are absolutely perfectly holy because God himself is absolutely perfectly holy. Uh, The point here in this passage, David's taking comfort in this. He is in the thick of a trial. He's in the thick of a great difficulty. You may be too. And uh, as you know, if you're not tonight, somewhere down the road, you will be. And so we want to store up these words, the principles that we see here tonight so that we could be prepared uh, for that time. David prayed and God began to comfort him. Uh, David prayed and the Lord blessed him with um, knowledge, insight, doctrine regarding his words. And David took comfort in this. He took comfort in the holiness of God's words. Uh, And then secondly, he took comfort in the truth uh, that the words of God are preserved by God. The same God who preserves his people is the God who preserves his words, the individual, all of his words, the individual words, and all of them. He preserves his individual holy words for his people. Why does he do that? Well, it's because uh, we need them. God gave his words by inspiration, uh, verbal plenary inspiration, each individual word and all of the individual words uh, in our King James Bible. They're, they're trans- a King James Bible translated from uh, the inspired and preserved words of God. You'll not find another Bible in English that offers you that. All of the words present uh, and translated. Uh, all of the original inspired words captured down uh, through the, God's process uh, have been uh, retained, uh, preserved, and, and translated accurately in our King James Bible. Praise God, because we need them all. Uh, we need them all. In Matthew 4, 4, Jesus said, It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word, every word, 
every word Jesus said. That proceedeth out of the mouth of God. If you're using an English language Bible other than the King James Bible, you do not have all of the words. Uh, in fact, you're missing hundreds of them, hundreds of them. Therefore, you cannot obey Christ's command to live according to or by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. You can't live according to something if you don't have that something. Uh, you just can't do it. But if you've got uh, a King James Bible, you've got all of the words accurately translated word for word. Uh, and so you can live according to Matthew 4, 4 and the Lord's command that we would live according to all of his words. You remember tonight that phrase uh, in that verse, it is written, it is written. Uh, it is written is a grammatical promise of preservation. Uh, the underlying word literally means the words were written, they are written, and they will remain written. Uh, the grammar of that phrase speaks to, uh, testifies to, theological truth, doctrine that God has promised to preserve his words. Well, he's, done, he's given us uh, that promise in the Old Testament here in the passage uh, that we are in tonight. See verse 7, Psalm 12 uh, and verse 7. David took comfort in God's promise to preserve his holy words. Verse 7, he says, Thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Who? What? <laughs> it's not a who here. Uh, there's disagreement in the world about what David is referring to here. But the, the context is established by verse 6. The words of the Lord, the pure words of the Lord. Okay, verse 7. Thou shalt keep them. The words, the pure words of God. Thou sh I know there's, there's a grammatical th issue here, and, and, and people, uh, people claim it's not a promise of preservation of God's words, promise of preservation of God's people. God has promised to, prefer, to preserve his people, but not here. But not here. This is a promise that God will preserve his words. David's taking comfort in the purity of the words of God and the preservation, God's promise to preserve his pure words. Verse 7, thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. David's taking comfort in that um, when God gave the words of, of the Pentateuch, the first five books of Scripture, uh, David may even be taking comfort in the truth that as God is having him to uh, inscripturate these words that God has given, by the Holy Spirit inspiration process. I believe the Holy Spirit is showing David in this moment that these words that he's privileged to pen down to inscripturate, these holy words from God will be preserved by God uh, for future generations. David was looking down the timeline, looking into the future um, in a way, um, perhaps to our day, thinking, well, what a wonderful truth. <laughs> what great comfort that um, God has allowed me to experience trials, but God is inscripturating my trial so that people down the road will be able to benefit spiritually from what God is having me to record. The only way that would be possible is if God supernaturally preserved um, his words. Think about Job. <laughs> There's something like that here. Uh, Job had a uh, a terrible trial, series of trials, and, and yet God had his trial to be recorded um, in a remarkable way with a remarkable structure and, and beauty and 
just absolutely astonishing um, literature, literary style and structure. It's, it's remarkable. Uh, the greater truth is that uh, God allowed Job to experience his trial uh, in part so that God's people after Job would benefit from what God allowed in Job's life. I, I can now understand for sure that not all trials are the result of personal sin. That's revealed um, by the book of Job. I can also understand that when I'm in uh, the midst of a trial, there is a temptation to angrily question God as Job did, and that's to be repented of as Job did. If God had not inscripturated the book of Job and preserved it and preserved it uh, forever until this day, and yeah, we would not be able to benefit from that. David was comforted by God as he prayed, and he's privileged to write down uh, the comfort that God has shared and the comfort that God has shared regarding the nature of his words. They're pure and they'll be preserved. David has received the words of God that were penned down before him. And as one of the penmen in his day, he take comfort that uh, just as he's received God's words that existed up until his life and was comforted by them, people in the future will be comforted by these same words uh, that he's penning down. So what does the Lord reveal here? Well, he reveals his promise regarding uh, preservation of his words. He will keep them, verse 7. Uh, he will preserve them, verse 7, for how long? For how long did God say he would do that? Forever. Uh, the last two words in verse 7, forever. Forever. There is a ongoing process um, in academic circles to try to uh, to discern what are God's words in the Bible and what are not God's words. Uh, this um, textual criticism, form criticism, textual criticism, higher criticism, lower criticism, there, there is a, an ongoing academic effort in the world that uh, assumes that the Bible can't possibly be preserved. They study the um, secular literary works of antiquity and they can see over time how those uh, works degrade. They become corrupted over time with copying uh, and more copying and more copying, kind of like the, you know, the 17th generation of a, a copy made on a copy machine. Over time, things fade out and get lost. And scientists, um, not really scientists, but uh, academics who perform this um, work uh, with regard to secular literature observe the degradation of text over time. They, they assume this must be true uh, with the Bible as well, and so they apply the same tools of their craft uh, to assessing various uh, copies of God's Word, and they, they assume that they can, that they are indeed helping to discern what is the true form of scripture. They assume that they need to do that uh, through an academic process, of, uh, not, a, not, a, not a spiritual process, but an academic process to try to discern wh which are God's words and, and which are not. Listen, that academic process has yielded the so-called critical text, uh, a, a, a greatly flawed version of the Greek and Hebrew that underlies our King James Bible, and that process that has yielded this greatly flawed 
Bible in the original languages has yielded all of our modern translations, those that have been made after the King James Bible. They are all, every last one of them is a translation from a uh, Greek and Hebrew Bible that was produced based on an assumption that God will not supernaturally preserve his words and that man needed to step in and do that for God uh, and his people. Uh, that's why you have uh, horrific Bible translations like the NIV uh, and the ESV and other uh, Bible translations today that just have no business in our churches at all. Could someone be saved by reading these Bibles? Well, I believe yes, and I praise God for that. But if I'm going to live according to all the words that proceedeth out of the mouth of God, again, I've got to have them. I've got to have them uh, present in my underlying text from which I'm translating, and I've got to have a translation process that seeks to preserve the individual words of God uh, as God gave them. Uh, and I've got to begin with the understanding that God has promised to supernaturally preserve his words. Now, I'm going to tell you this tonight. That's, that's a lot to take in. I understand that. But I, I will boil it down to this tonight. As David took comfort in, the, in God's revelation to him that he would preserve his pure words, um, you may take comfort tonight in the same. In your King James Bible, you have an accurate translation of the inspired and preserved words of God. You have a translation, incredibly accurate translation of the form of God's words that have come down through the ages, handed down uh, from church to church. You do not have a corrupted version that's been revised by man according to a deeply flawed academic process with deeply flawed assumptions underpinning that process. Uh, you do not have that. You have an accurate translation of the inspired and preserved words of God. You have a pure Bible. You have a pure translation of God's holy words. You can have great confidence in your King James Bible tonight because of that. You ought to take great comfort from that. You do not have to worry, is my Bible accurate? Do I have all? You do, I promise you that, uh, if you're using our King James Bible in English. I praise God tonight for men uh, who have invested their lives in taking the same type of Bible translation effort uh, to the many, many language groups around the world, people around the world that still don't have um, any or, or almost none, uh, almost no uh, scripture in their language. Uh, I'm very thankful tonight that there is a new Bible translation program that has just started uh, this academic year um, at uh, First Baptist Church in Milford, Ohio. Uh, they are embarking on an effort uh, to offer a master's program in Bible translation uh, to help men, ladies as well, I assume, who would uh, like to be involved in making accurate King James-like Bible translations for people around the world. Um, it, 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 takes, uh, it takes some intellectual horsepower to be able to do that. I'm not sure if I could do that, but I, I praise God for people who are able and willing to commit themselves to the very difficult task of, of learning the Greek and Hebrew and learning to handle God's words well. It's not a, it's not a small thing, it, it's a huge thing. 
uh, I would ask that you, um, you pray for those folks. Pray for people around the world that are involved in uh, Bible translation, Bible translation uh, training. Of course, pray for Matt Patnod. He's involved in training uh, Bible translators in India and elsewhere. Uh, it's enormously important. Uh, I would dare say tonight, I don't know this for sure, but I would dare say that most people living today do not have an accurate translation of all of God's words in their native language. Praise God, we do. Praise God, we do. Value that. Value that. Please, I urge you to value that. And importantly, let's bring it back to the context here. Take comfort from that. Uh, take comfort tonight in the truth that you have God's words. You have them. I would be remiss if I didn't mention a couple of related verses. Matthew 5, 18, Jesus says, For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. Jesus himself promised that God's words would not pass away uh, until they were fulfilled at least. Uh, Matthew 24, verse 35, Jesus says, Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. He says, Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. Uh, Christ himself promised from his own mouth that his words would not pass away. They would be preserved supernaturally by God. Well, praise God for that. Praise God for that. Uh, David was suffering great trial. You may be too. If you're not, you will someday. Uh, what did he do? He prayed. He received comfort from the Lord. God will deal with the wicked in his wrath. He prayed, took comfort in, in God's revelation to him, a blessing for his prayer. God will deal with the wicked in his wrath. We see David was comforted by God's words. He was comforted by the, the purity of them, the holiness of God's words. What a great, wonderful contrast between the purity of God's words uh, and the prideful wickedness of the world and their words. Lord, help us to keep our eyes on you and your holy words. And David was comforted by the fact that God promised to preserve his word. The Bible that David had, the Old Testament scriptures, were pure and protected by God, preserved by him. Uh, and David could take great comfort from them. He also, no doubt, took comfort in his understanding that the words that he was inscripturating at the Holy Spirit's express direction were to be preserved by the Holy Spirit for the benefit of future believers, including us. Now, there's one verse to go. There's one verse to go, and um, it comes back to sort of that lament about the wicked. We're done. I'll just share this with you very quickly. Um, in the final verse, David reinforces the need to seek God in prayer and to take comfort in the Lord and in his words. And um, he, he basically brings it all back to where he began. Verse 8, he says, the wicked walk on every side. They're all around me. When the vilest men are, men are exalted. We can say much about that verse, but David brings it all back to, boy, um, where I began, practically speaking, is still true. The wicked that were coming at him, that were all around him, at the beginning of this short psalm, they were still there at the end of this short psalm. And we're going to have to say the same thing tonight. The, the wickedness in the world that was out there at the beginning of this message, it's still there. It's still there. I'm going to walk out these doors of the church tonight, 
into a wicked world. That wickedness is still there today. It won't always be there, but tonight it is. And so the things that we've seen, the principles in this passage, they really are important. We, we do not do well to say, well, okay, I heard the message, I did my duty, I'll just forget it now, flush it out, make room for something else. No, we need to be sure that we got a hold of these things tonight. Trial points to prayer. And God blesses specific prayer. God bless that with comfort from him and his pure words. You could take comfort tonight knowing the pure words of God are just that in our King James Bible. They've been preserved by God. He supernaturally saved and preserved his words from corruption and loss. So you can be confident and be comforted by God's words tonight. We need that because um, tomorrow morning we go back into a world that is increasingly more wicked. Is there comfort available? Yes, there is. And praise God for that tonight. We have access to the Father in prayer because of the Lord Jesus Christ, God the Son. We have access to his words because he supernaturally has kept his promise to preserve his holy, pure words. There's great instruction available to us, and very importantly, in days like these, there's great comfort available to us. Let's stop there and pray. Father, thank you. Thank you so much tonight for your words. Thank you for this short psalm. Lord, I've, I've probably spoken too long, but uh, Father, I, I've, I've preached and taught what you've laid upon my heart tonight. That I know for sure. Lord, I thank you tonight for your words. I thank you for the comfort that we derive from them. Lord, I pray that we would seek that comfort, yes, for our help, but also for your glory. Lord, help people to see the comfort that we have found in you, in the Spirit of God, and in the words that you have given and preserved supernaturally. Father, help us to desire that comfort for ourselves as a blessing but Lord, all the more importantly, for your honor and your glory. Father, thank you tonight for preserving your words in English uh, through our King James Bible. Thank you for this accurate translation of your inspired and preserved words. Lord, I do pray tonight for uh, First Baptist Church in, in Milford, Ohio, in the translation training effort that's happening there. I pray tonight for Matt Patnod. Uh, and, and his ministry of training Bible translators in India and elsewhere. Lord, these, uh, these folks have taken up a, a truly righteous um, ministry. I pray, Lord, that you help them. I pray you protect them from the spiritual battle that must accompany that effort. I pray, Lord, that their financial needs be met, that their spiritual needs be met, that you help them to be patient and careful in their efforts. And Lord, that ultimately uh, you work through your churches to print and distribute these scriptures <laughs> that people might be saved around the world. Father, we look ahead uh, later this year to uh, being involved in assembling scripture for distribution here uh, and around the world. We pray for the Sandy family tonight and for uh, their efforts to make that possible. I pray you bless them, Father, that you'll bless them. Lord, I love you tonight. I thank you so much. I thank you, Lord, for who you are. Thank you for your words. Thank you for our salvation. I thank you for our church. Father, I love you. I thank you. I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Be in your Bible this week, please. Be in your Bible this week, please. Lord willing, we'll see you here at the church for an in-person service on Wednesday night at 6. Meanwhile, if you uh, have any needs, if you have prayer requests, uh, please reach out. Um, you can contact me by phone, by email. All of our contact information is on the church website if you don't already have it. But please reach out if there's anything we can do to be a help this week. All right.